Like John said, our, our text today is from Luke chapter 24, and if you're using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 885. 885. So Luke 24, we're going to be reading verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So the day is Sunday. April 5th, 33 AD. And just days ago, Luke tells us the story of this this violent murder of an innocent man. This was no ordinary man. This was the God-man, the creator and sustainer of all that is. The very one who spoke the universe, this world, and you and I into being was executed. Just days ago, straddled between two criminals, hung Jesus on a cross in sheer agony. His flesh mangled, his hands and feet pierced, his face disfigured, his lungs gasping for air, his blood spilt. 
Just days ago, the hope of the world breathed his last breath. Jesus is dead. And all hope went with him to the grave. Or at least it seemed that way. But that was just days ago. But now, it's Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. And when we get to our passage, the day is nearly half done. It's around the afternoon. And where is Jesus? Where do we find Jesus? Of all places, the resurrected Christ could be. Luke tells us that he's on this dingy, dirt back road, mixing it up with two unsuspecting travelers. Look with me at verse 13. That very day, Luke tells us, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. This scene is spilling over with grace and care. There's, there's some implications here for how we practice radical hospitality together. Rosera Butterfield comments on these verses saying, Jesus is modeling for us what daily, ordinary, radical hospitality is all about. And we're going to get to this in a bit. But notice what's going on here. The resurrected Jesus is on some back road heading away from Jerusalem to this small town called Emmaus. And this is on purpose. Jesus isn't directionally challenged, right, like some of us are. He's not lost. Jesus never gets the address wrong. He's right where he wants to be, and he's on a mission. It's partly why Luke tells us in verse 16 that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus doesn't want to be seen, at least yet. He's got an agenda. As we'll see here in a bit, Jesus wants to feed these unsuspecting travelers an unsuspected meal. They don't know this yet, but they're about to enjoy the feast of a lifetime. It's going to radically change them for the rest of their lives. That's where Luke is taking us. We're going to get there, but what comes next? Luke tells us that the Christ incognito sort of walks right up to a couple of strangers and just begins to journey with them. Who are these travelers? Luke names one of them in verse 18. The other, he just leaves unnamed. It's Cleopas and his unnamed companion. Now, I think there's a strong possibility that that this Cleopas is actually a blood relative of Jesus, that he's Jesus' uncle, the brother of his earthly dad, Joseph. John 19.25 mentions a man named Clopas. I think John's Clopas, Luke's Cleopas, they're the same person. But then who's this other traveler? We don't know for sure, but it could be that it, it might be that it's Cleopas's wife, Mary. She's mentioned too in John 19.25, but we don't know for sure. But imagine it. Imagine it for a moment. There's Uncle Cleopas and Aunt Mary, and they're heading away from Jerusalem. And as Jesus comes closer, he notices that something is wrong. Their grief is visible. 
right? Shoulders sunken, heads hung low, slowly making that long seven-mile trek back to Emmaus. Well, whoever these travelers are, Luke wants us to sort of, he wants us to feel their heartache and see their sorrow. And he wants us to see that Jesus sees their heartache and sorrow too. So notice what Jesus does next. He comes right alongside these unsuspecting travelers, and he doesn't come armed with an argument. He comes with a question. Did you notice that? What are these things that you're talking about? What are you guys talking about? And that simple question in verse 17 just derails these disheartened disciples. Luke says, they stood still, looking sad. They don't just stop. Luke says that they stand still. Has this ever happened to you? Do you know what they might be experiencing? Have you ever been in a season of grief like this, where your sadness is so heavy, questions derail you? Things that grieve us, have their way of bringing our lives to a grinding halt, don't they? Where your sadness is so heavy and so felt that that even a question from a friend might derail you. Sorrow can be just so overwhelming and, and at times unbearable, even debilitating. Grief slows everything down. And sometimes a simple question can derail us, just like it did for these disciples. But I, I just love Jesus' posture toward these travelers. Jesus is unbothered by this. He stops too, and he stands with them, and he just waits. Jesus is simply unhurried. He doesn't hurry them. He's in no rush to be anywhere else or with anyone else. Grief isn't a place where we want to be hurried through, is it? Jesus knows this, and he knows that there's a lot of standing still that goes on in grief. So are you in a season of grief right now? Do you wonder, why, God? Why me? Do you doubt God's faithfulness to you? Jesus wants to stand with you, friend. He, he's not put off by your sadness, your sorrow, your shame, your doubts, your questions. He's in no rush to be with anyone else but you. Let that sink in. A minute or two goes by. And Cleopas regains his composure. He looks, looks up into this stranger's eyes and he responds with a question of his own. Verse 18, look with me. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Like, bro, where have you been? Are you not from around here or something? Everyone knows what just happened in the city a few days ago. The irony here is Cleopas is talking about Jesus to Jesus. Cleopas is talking about Jesus to Jesus. The resurrected Christ is standing right in front of him, eye to eye. He just doesn't see it yet. Still, Jesus isn't 
um, bothered or put off by this. He's not surprised in any way. He just, he graciously presses in. Verse 19, what things? What things? Unhurried, full of grace and compassion, Jesus leans in and he listens. He listens as they share their confusion. Verse 20, the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. It is now the third day since these things happened. Like, where is Jesus? He listens as they share their pain and disappointment, as they share feelings of abandonment and betrayal. Verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. He even listens as their, dar- their, their doubting hearts begin to speak. Verse 22, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. They had even seen a vision of angels who said Jesus was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, but him they did not see. He listens, he cares, he's unhurried. For the next few weeks, we're going to talk about hospitality. We're going to spend time thinking about hospitality. And so much of what hospitality is, is this, I think. Slowing down enough. Slowing down enough to listen and care for those around us. Jesus wants us to live a hospitable life. A life that welcomes others in and a life that moves towards others in grace. And Jesus models this for us on the Emmaus Road. The hospitable life is an unhurried life. The hospitable life is unbothered by others' pain and sorrow and doubt and confusion. The hospitable life enters the grief of others. It welcomes it. It lives there. We can't live this, this life, this hospitable life that Jesus wants us to live, live on our own. We need grace to do this, and we need it daily. So let me encourage you. Pray. God, help me to slow down enough to see and be present with the people, with people in, my, in my midst, around me, in their pain, grief, sadness. God, give me eyes to see the needs around me and to meet those needs. God, help me to lovingly intrude on others' lives. God, help me to walk with others with grace and patience. And we need grace to do these things, don't we? Well, all this matters for what Jesus does next. Only after walking unhurriedly with these two travelers in their grief and confusion and doubts does he do what comes next. Look with me at verse 25. Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Here's our first big point this morning. Jesus feeds unsuspecting travelers an unsuspected meal. One of the most delicious, mouth-watering, melt-in-your-mouth-good steaks I've ever eaten in my entire life 
was with Kate at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Anyone been to Ruth's Chris? A few, okay. Oh, man. So good. Uh, it's also one of the most expensive steaks I've ever gotten, too, that I've ever eaten, which is why we've only eaten there one time. Uh, but some meals are just unforgettable, aren't they? Like that Ruth's Chris steak. Luke tells us that Jesus prepares this incredible and unforgettable feast for these two travelers. Only, this isn't a feast with physical food that will satisfy their physical hunger. This is a feast with spiritual food that's going to fill their souls. This feast is unlike anything their souls have ever tasted before. Luke says this in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Man, imagine being a guest at a banquet like this. The word made flesh, Jesus himself feeding you with the very word of God. And he himself being that main course. Man, imagine what this would have sounded like. You know, maybe Jesus kicked off this banquet by taking them uh, all the way back to the beginning of their scriptures, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 3. Maybe he said something like, do you remember what happened after the fall? Do you remember God's promise? From From Adam would come an offspring, one who would eventually crush the head of the serpent. I'm that snake crusher. Maybe he took them to Exodus. Remember the story of the Exodus. Remember how God brought his people from slavery to freedom. How he carried them from death to life. And do you remember how he did that through the blood of an innocent spotless lamb? I'm that spotless lamb. He must have taken them to Isaiah 53. Remember what the prophet Isaiah said that a suffering servant is going to come. One like a lamb who would be led to the slaughter. One who would be pierced for your transgressions and crushed for your iniquities. I'm that suffering servant. Maybe he unpacked Psalm 22. Beginning with these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words that he spoke just days ago hanging on a cross. The more Jesus fed these two disciples the word, the faster their hearts must have raced. This feast was like anything their souls had ever tasted. Jesus had served up a feast of a lifetime, and it would radically change them for the rest of their lives. And this is our second big point for this morning. Jesus' unsuspected meal works Radical change in unsuspecting hearts. Jesus' unsuspected meal works radical change in unsuspecting hearts. Look with me, starting at verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. 
They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. It's still Sunday, April 5th, 33 AD, but now it's the evening. The sun hangs low in the sky ahead of them as these travelers cross into this little town called Emmaus. Jesus has just spent the better part of a day with these two guys, unhurried, opening the word and feeding them this incredible feast. Souls were deeply nourished that day. I imagine hours with Jesus on that dirt road just felt like minutes. They know they're in the presence of something special, someone special. Still, they're kept from seeing that the, that the stranger who journeyed with him all along is, is Jesus himself, the, the resurrected Christ in the flesh. Well, as they get to their destination, Luke tells us Jesus just keeps on walking. He just keeps on walking. Almost desperately, they plead, stay with us. And so Jesus stays, and they're overjoyed by this. Quickly, these, these strangers, they scrape together this late-night meal to share with their guest of honor. Somehow, in all of this, Jesus, he goes from being the guest of honor to the host. He goes from guest to hosting a meal. While reclining at their table, Luke says, Jesus took the bread. This is what the host would do. Jesus takes the bread, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it to them. So there's Jesus, bread in hand, pulling it apart, giving them each a piece. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Still, the risen Son of Man eats and drinks. Well, as soon as the bread leaves his nail-pierced hands and touches theirs, they know who this is. Their eyes were opened, Luke says. They recognized him. Tears begin to well up in their eyes. They gasp, and Jesus vanishes. Imagine their excitement. Can you imagine? Could it be? They wonder. Was it really him? Did he really rise from the dead? Did we just see and touch Jesus? With fresh hope in their hearts, and their hearts on fire, they, they say to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So Luke saves for us the big idea of this whole story. Luke saves it till the very end. Here it is, our big idea for this morning. Jesus inflames our faith with the food of his word. Jesus inflames our faith with the food of his word. Jesus wants to inflame our faith in him with the food of his word. And he wants to do this in us over some really ordinary things, like sharing meals together. To be a Christian is to eat and drink with one another and with our neighbors, with Jesus 
as the meal of our conversation. We share our bread while we enjoy the bread of life together. Jesus uses these ordinary moments to do some really extraordinary things. He inflames our fragile faith with the food of his word. Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, um, thinking back to Deuteronomy, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. If this is true, Jesus, the bread of life, should be the centerpiece of our tables and our meals and our conversations and our friendships. When we open our lives up and our homes up, we get this, we get this wonderful opportunity to also open the word up. Jesus invites us to open the book and taste and see that he is good, to feed on Christ together. So we slow down and savor God for who he is and what he's done. We slow down and we savor his goodness, his greatness. We slow down and we savor his beauty, his majesty. We slow down and we savor his power, his faithfulness, his justice, his trustworthiness. We slow down and we savor his mercy and grace. We slow down and we savor his promises. We slow down and we savor his holiness. We slow down, we savor his awesomeness. Slow down and savor God. Take the time to break bread with someone. And when you're breaking bread, break open the word. Read it together. Drink deeply of it, even if only for a few moments. Treasure these words. Hide them in your heart. Draw near to God in prayer together. Thank him for who he is and what he's done for you in Christ. Slow down and savor God each day. When we do this, Jesus inflames our faith with the food of his word. Slow down. Take time to savor God. When we do this, We'll never be disappointed. We're never going to be disappointed. It will always bear good fruit in our lives. Maybe this week, even, you invite someone from this church family into your home for a meal, a simple meal. And what could happen over this meal if you slowed down and considered Jesus together? What if you took time in that meal to savor him for all that he is, for what he has done, who he is and what he's done? What if we ate of Christ while we ate our meals together? What if we did that? What if we savored his sinless life more together? What if we savored his selfless death more together? What if we savored that steep, bloody price that God paid to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness to bring us into the kingdom of light more together? What if we savored that new life that we have in Christ more together? Could you imagine? Could you imagine what Jesus would do in those little ordinary moments together? To think if we walked away from our encounters with one another, saying these words, did not our hearts burn 
when we open the word together. Man, didn't our hearts burn within us when we opened the word together? It's in these ordinary moments together when Jesus feeds us an unsuspected meal for our souls that will work radical change in our unsuspecting hearts. So church, let's open the book together. Let's open our hearts and our homes to each other. Let's eat good food and let's eat good, let's drink good drink together. But whatever we do, let's not forget to slow down and savor Jesus, our Savior, together. When we do this, Jesus will, Jesus will inflame our faith for our eternal good and his eternal glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story, this wonderful encounter of the resurrected Christ. We thank you that Jesus brings unsuspecting people like us into his kingdom, and we thank you that it is through your word that you've given us your word, and it's through your word that we encounter Christ, that we encounter the good news of the gospel. Would you help us today and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day after that, would you help us to live hospitable lives where we welcome others into our homes and our lives and our stories and where we're willing to take courage and enter into the stories and lives of one another. But in those places, would you help us to feed on your word? Your word is life to us. Would you help us to do this? Would you inflame our faith by the food of your word? It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.